Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. Words matter. This is what James is telling us here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Words matter. It matters what you say and what you should not say. It matters how you say it and how you meant to say it. And it's not just spoken words that this text can be applied to. It's all forms of communication. How quick are you to speak? When it comes to verbal duels, are you a quick draw? Do you leave others with wondering what hit them? In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds us that being the biggest wordslinger out there isn't always a good thing. In fact, in Proverbs it says, sometimes it's better to remain silent and appear to be a fool. Words are very powerful and can be very dangerous. We should be very careful and very intentional in how we use them. We should always use our words for good and not evil. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. James chapter 3, I'll read verse 1 through 12. My brethren, let not... Many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, My brethren, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And so we'll pause here for a moment. We come to the section here in the book of James. And, you know, the book of James is filled with practical points for how to live out your faith as a Christian. And we come now to a section of Scripture here in James chapter 3, which doesn't really apply to any of us, I know. I mean, it applies to the person next to you, but not you. Uh, We come to a section here having to do with the tongue or speech. And uh, I'm sure nobody here has ever said anything that you have regretted. Uh, I'm sure that you've always been perfect with your speech, that you've been careful with your words. But for the sake of the person sitting next to you, let's go ahead and take a look at this section together, shall we? Because words matter. This is what James is telling us here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Words matter. It matters what you say and what you should not say. It matters how you say it and how you meant to say it. And it's not just spoken words that this text can be applied to. It's all forms of communication. I mean, you know, obviously James is writing around 50 AD. He's writing at a time when all they had was the spoken word and the written word. But They didn't have, like, newspapers and cell phones, and they didn't have mass communications and satellites and all these kind of things. So for us today to understand James chapter 3 in its proper context, we need to realize that this applies not just to spoken communication. It applies to talk, text, tweet. you picking up what I'm dropping down? It applies to all forms of communication because words matter. They matter so much, take note, I'll just read it for you note-takers, you can write down Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 37. You can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. Matthew 12, 34 to 37. Listen to what Jesus said about the importance of words. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For your, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So Jesus had some pretty serious things here to say about speech in Matthew chapter 12. And I want you to hear again verse 37 that I just read, that he said, For by your words you will be justified or acquitted, some translations say, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, the first part of that verse is good news. We are justified by our words. And the Bible actually says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your mouth, rather with your heart, that you believe unto righteousness and is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So in Matthew twelve thirty seven, there, when Jesus talks about by your words, you're either going to be justified or condemned. The good news is you can be justified. You can be acquitted. You can be found not guilty by virtue of the supreme 
uh, confession, which is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, and when you surrender to him, and you confess your sins, and the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, then we are made right with him by virtue of that relationship that we have with Christ through faith. And so we come into that relationship, not just by what we believe. Remember, we talked about uh, uh, last time we were studying together about how even the demons believe and they tremble. But belief without behavior, in the case of James chapter 3, belief without confession, without saying something, without acknowledging with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is just a a set of belief in your heart, but it hasn't really been applied to a relationship. When I first got saved, I had grown up in the church, was exposed to, you know, the Bible and, and, and church, and that was just a regular thing we did as a family. But I had, I did not connect the dots and understand that it had to be a personal relationship with Christ. I just kind of thought you, you were a Christian because you go to church, which, you know, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going to a donut shop makes you a cop. You know what I'm saying to you? And all my police friends, you know, don't ever like that joke, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like you, you, you not something just because of where you visit, that doesn't make you, you know, a part of anything just because you visit there. But for, for years, I, I thought growing up, I was a Christian because I went to church. And then I go away on this youth retreat and, and this, the, the speaker at the youth retreat, just in a casual conversation with me, asked, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. He says, how do you know you're going to heaven? I said, because I go to church. That was my answer. I go to church. And he said, that doesn't make you a Christian. I was like, what do you mean that doesn't make me a Christian? He says, no. And then he pointed me to Romans 10, 9 and 10, what I just quoted to you. If you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You shall be saved. He says, it seems to me that you have the belief part down. You believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. Have you ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? No. And so at that moment, then he led me in a prayer. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And, and that's really when I got saved. By your words, you will be justified. But Matthew 12, 37, the other part of that verse is, and by your words, you shall be condemned. In other words, there are things that we say that will be held against us. And by our words, we are acquitted and justified. And by our words, we bring condemnation on ourselves because words matter. And God, by the way, is listening to our words. And he is recording our conversations. All right, listen again to what Jesus said in a different passage. This is Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered, or NIV says hidden, that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. In other words, God is taking record. He's taking note of what we say, even when we whisper it in the corners to one another. God hears. There's nothing hidden from God's ear. He hears it all, okay? He takes note of it. And there's, there's you know, th- this, is, this is sobering stuff here in Luke 12 when he says, those things that are just whispered in the corner, they're going to be proclaimed from the housetops. So we better be aware of the things that we say. When we say it, how we say it, why we say it, what we say. So when you consider what Jesus says just in those two passages I quoted from Matthew 12 and Luke chapter 12, it's no wonder then that his half-brother, James, the one who 
was inspired to write this letter here, the half-brother of Jesus, is so adamant here about speech because he's heard from his half-brother some pretty serious stuff about our words. And so James here in chapter 3 writes a, a strong imperative to instruct us concerning the tongue, concerning our speech. And chapter 3, by the way, is not his first reference to speech. Uh, Jump back to chapter 1 in the book of James. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. In chapter 1, verse 19, he, he wrote this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to what? Slow to speak, and slow to wrath, slow to become angry. That's James 1, 19. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, slow to become angry. Somebody once said there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. Because God wants us to listen twice as much as he wants us to talk. We need to be good listeners, not talk as much. Talking gets us in trouble. Nobody ever got in trouble for for biting their tongue. But plenty of people get in trouble for saying too much. I, I have a, a couple of quotes that uh, I always reference when we're talking about speech, but Abraham Lincoln once said, quote, better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all their doubts. And another quote by some anonymous author, even a fish wouldn't get in trouble if he kept his mouth shut. Think about if if you don't get that, you're not a fisherman, but anyway... <laughs> Also here in James 1, look again in chapter 1, verse 26. He says something else about speech in James 1, 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So there's a great deal of emphasis uh, that James places here uh, on the importance of speech. Now back here in chapter 3. James says that the tongue, in these first 12 verses, has the potential to do four things. I'm going to put them on the screen for you. The tongue has the potential, number one, to condemn. Number two, to control. Number three, to contaminate. And number four, to contradict. We're going to look at these four things. The first one, to condemn. In verse one, he writes, "'My brethren, let not many of you become teachers.'" knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I want you to notice with me here that James starts out by saying that people who teach God's Word, people like me, are more accountable to God than those who don't because of the sacred responsibility of rightly dividing the Word of God. And so he says here at the beginning of this chapter, Not many of you should want to be teachers for this very reason, because we're going to be judged more strictly. Those of us who have an awesome responsibility of the pulpit, or or not just the pulpit, if you're in a teaching role in a Bible study, maybe you lead a a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, maybe you're teaching a K-group, maybe you're teaching a children's Sunday school class. If you're in a position of teaching the Word of God, whether voluntarily or whether as, you know, a, a livelihood, It is an awesome responsibility, and it should be a sobering thing to realize what we're entrusted with, the right dividing of the Word of God. And so 
he says in verse 1, not many people should want to be teachers. You're going to be judged more strictly. will be condemned for the mishandling of Scripture or the misspeaking of doctrine because it is a serious thing to misrepresent God and His Word. Now, that isn't to say that sometimes every teacher will, you know, just accidentally say something that they didn't really intend. You know, there's been, there's been a few things, listen, in 30 years of ministry, I've said a few things like, I don't remember saying that. Did I say that? That was a mistake. It wasn't intentional. Like, I'll just give you an example. So back at Christmas, um, and, you know, we were doing multiple Christmas services, so somewhere halfway through, like, our seven services, I was a little brain dead, okay? Not, you know, I'm just saying. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying, all right? Little oxygen deprived. And so in the middle of one of the services, when I get up to make announcements, I'm welcoming new people. Because a lot of times people only come to church at Christmas and Easter. So I'm, like, carefully wanting to make sure that people feel welcome. Like, hey, if you're here for the first time, this is your, 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 your first time here worshiping with us at Cornerstone. We're glad that you're here. And here's our regular service schedule. We hope that you'll come back and worship us. And I didn't even know I said that. And, and the video guys are like, did you know after that service, you, you said to the people, we hope you'll come back and worship us? I said, no. I said, I hope you'll come back and worship with us. They said, no, you left out the word with. I said, no. They got out the videotape. It didn't lie. I said, why don't you all come back and worship us? Worship us. And what do you think all the new people are thinking? What kind of church is this? We, we go to Cornerstone, we worship each other. We, we worship that guy up there. What kind of church is it? It's a cult. It's a cult. Because I, I missed one word. One word can make a big difference between would you come back and worship with us and would you come back and worship us? That can make a big difference. And I couldn't go back and correct it because I didn't know I'd said that. But anyway, people can make some mistakes. People can say some things. They're like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't really mean to say that. But the idea here b- behind verse 1 of chapter 3 is the mishandling of Scripture or doctrine as a regular failure. It invites God's judgment. So potential for our words to condemn us in a teaching role when we mishandle uh, God's word or we misappropriate doctrine or somehow we misrepresent God, it's a, it's a sacred thing. It, and, and we need to take it seriously. So our words can condemn us. Number two on the list there, our words also have the potential to control. James says here, that if you can control your tongue, if you can control what you say, you can control the rest of your body. It's an interesting principle. Look again at verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. Okay, nobody's perfect. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. I mean, if you've never said anything that you regretted, you're perfect. Okay, but that's not true because all of us have said things that we regretted. So, We should strive for maturity. We should work to be like Jesus. But all of us have stumbled in saying something. But if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Notice that. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue. So in other words, in these verses, he's, he's saying a little thing like, for example, a bit controls a horse. And a little thing like a rudder, he says there in verse 4, controls a ship. 
He says a little thing like the tongue can control your whole body. In other words, what he says to us, if you can get your mouth in check, you can gain control over other areas of your life as well. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that, but for some of you who you know, want to be more disciplined in certain areas of your life, maybe it's discipline over food or discipline over um, maybe just um, sinful habits. Uh, maybe you want to be more disciplined over uh, your time. How about starting with the discipline of controlling your tongue? Because it's interesting that what James says here is, by way of principle, if we can reign in our tongue, if we can start there by controlling better what we say, how we say it, when we say it, it actually helps us to control the rest of what we struggle with in our bodies as well. It begins with our tongue. Proverbs 13.3 says, He who guards his lips guards his life that he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. But now notice that he also says in verse 8, if you just jump ahead to verse 8, he says, no man can tame the tongue. He says there in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue. Um, It is an unruly evil, he adds. It is full of deadly poison. So what he's telling us is that our speech is naturally going to be bent towards bad stuff, uh, evil things, and it's poisonous. So he says, we can't fix our mouth by ourselves, but God can. In other words, when he's saying there in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue, what he's saying is, therefore, we need God's help. Because through God's help, in, in the taming of the tongue, it'll also help us to tame or control or to rein in other aspects of our lives. Uh, David understood this. David understood, man, I can't control my own speech. I need God's help, which is why he wrote in Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a great verse. That's one of those verses maybe you should, you know, put it on a three-by-five card and put it on your mirror so every morning when you're brushing your teeth that you're reading that. Lord, put a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. And then thirdly, James tells us here that the tongue has the potential to contaminate, to contaminate. He says in verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles, there's the idea, contaminates the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So he tells us here, hey, the the tongue is poisonous, as if we didn't know that, right? It's a weapon. I mean, some people can wield the weapon of their tongue like nobody's business. I hope that doesn't describe you, but if it doesn't already describe you, certainly we all know somebody who can wield the tongue like a weapon. And And what he's saying here between verses 5 and 6 is just like a little spark can cause a raging forest fire, the smallest thing said 
can cause tremendous, terrible, even sometimes irreparable damage. Pastor Gary Hamrick is bringing us through the book of James in the current series on Cornerstone Connection. The book of James is filled with incredible words to live by, like these. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. These are hard words to practice, but James gives us a reason. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There is nothing more beautiful than a faithful heart, but the path to growing one is filled with hard things. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, that when steadfastness has had its full effect, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So next time you face a trial or hardship, remember these words from James and begin to count it all joy. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Do you live in the area? Take the next step and come see us in person. We would love to share a Sunday service with you at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 in the morning. We're also here every Wednesday night at 7. When you enter into community, you start to grow in the faith at a faster pace. We'd love to be that community for you. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be right here again next time. Come back and see us as we learn how to follow Jesus more closely together on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know